Good morning. Everybody nice and warm in here? Toasty? Yeah? Ish? Toasty-ish. We are uh, in our third week of, it's not really a series, but we just chose in the kind of this January uh, season to tell uh, more Red X stories. The, the idea came from uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, we had said, how many of you have a story somewhere in this facility? And there was uh, facilities didn't like me, but there were red uh, X's everywhere, uh, duct tape on floors and everywhere, and it was a story. And the reason we leaned into that, because we just recognize that often the church, we, the church, you, the church, can get stuck in thinking that knowledge and intellect is what makes us spiritual. The scripture does say for us to learn and to understand the character and nature of God, but it doesn't really count for anything unless that starts to get into our lives. And so the beautiful part of stories is stories can, we can see actual truth being lived out in the lives of people. And so I think it's important that we tell these. Uh, it's inspirational. It helps us see. Uh, we could talk about forgiveness. We could do weeks for forgiveness. But until you hear a story of forgiveness, uh, it doesn't really come to life. And so we want to share this morning. And I'm uh, excited to have uh, a couple up here that really we've been kind of wanting to do this story for some time now. But in God and his timing, did not have them ready yet. So will you welcome this morning Sean and Lita Jaquette? As they come up. Jackwit. Sorry, Jackwit. Sorry. I've butchered that name a lot. Seven years. That's okay. Seven years. <laughs> I can see how this interview is going to go. So, <laughs> Always don't mess with the interviewer, Sean. That's just a rule of thumb. They put the clinics by me. <laughs> yeah, they did. They moved it from last service. It was over there. That's awesome. Well, thanks, you guys, for uh, being courageous and really following, I think, God's leading uh, to have you guys up here. So uh, I want to talk just about your story, and I know it goes all the way back to uh, how you guys grew up and would love just to hear you maybe start, Lita, of uh, how you grew up about family and faith. So just tell us a little bit about how that journey was. Okay. Um, well, I grew up in California. Um, Woo! Yeah, California. Um, my mom had me when she was 15. She ran away at 13 and was missing for two years, and my grandparents had a detective looking for her and couldn't find her. Um, so my big announcement into the world was LA General Hospital calling my grandparents and saying, we found your daughter, oh, and you have a granddaughter. So um, I was not wanted from minute one, and I, I felt that from my mom. Um, it wasn't just a young pregnancy. It was she just didn't want me. She... I feel like she made it clear in so many ways. Um, she just, well, she wasn't a good mom, but she always would tell me, you'll never be anything. You'll be just like me. You'll be 15 and pregnant. You're never going to graduate. Um, you'll be married multiple times like I have been. Like, she just, I always almost sensed, sense, like, she was almost jealous of me from the time I was little in a weird way, even though I was just a little girl. Yeah. But I just never felt love. She bounced me from house to house, marriage to marriage, um, sleeping on floors, um, you know, poverty when I could have been living with my grandparents who were very, very, very parental, but she would have rather had the control over me and um, make me suffer. And So early on, you have this, you're already in survival mode as a young, as a young girl. Yeah. yeah. I had a sense that no one was going to take care of me or protect me. My grandparents wanted to, but my mom wouldn't allow them. She would rather feed me to the wolves than allow my grandparents to take care of me. Now, your mom today, just to talk about her, uh, she, she's been married multiple times. Five times, and yeah. she's going through a divorce again. Yeah. And again, I, I think, too, when we tell these stories about our past, and, and I had mentioned even last service, and I don't know if my parents are watching, but it's not to demonize our parents, but I right. think it's to, to paint a picture. Yeah. You, we often talk about bringing luggage to marriages and relationships and from our past and mm -hmm. I know I have my own set um, you, you bring a pretty large set of luggage huge, huge. just in that growing up my childhood was um, I always sensed there was a God I always felt that somebody was looking out for me because I knew it wasn't my mother but um, 
I looked for love and acceptance in relationships and in boys and in boyfriends, and um, it never led me down the right path. I think that I, I, well, I was always in emotionally abusive relationships, mm -hmm. as was my mother. So California, but you get to Green Bay. So how do you get to Green Bay? We'll get into how you guys met, but how did you yeah. get to Green Bay? Well, that's interesting, too, because um, I think I was telling you at first service, I actually disliked my mother to a point of when I was a little girl, I just said, I'm never going to be like you. I'm never going to be a mommy like you. I'm never, I'm going to love my kids. I'm going to, I'm going to do things the right way and I'm going to prove you wrong. And so at 16, I became an emancipated minor. I went to the courts and said, I can do this better myself. I'm more responsible than my mother is. And I won. So I didn't live with my mother for the later years in my teenage years. I did live with my grandparents. They let me stay there. And uh, my mom said, I'm moving to Wisconsin with my husband. Do you want to come along? And for me to say yes was crazy because we did not. I mean, we fought. I mean, like, she's held me down and choked me before. Like, she's very, very abusive. Yeah. But something in me just said, just go, Lita, just go, just go. And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's cold there. I don't, I've never, I've never been there. What? I don't even know where it is on the map. Like, um, and all my friends said, you'll be back, you'll be back. And I'm like, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to, I have this little gut feeling that says go. And uh, I met him a week later. So how old were you when you? I was 20. I was a week, it's two weeks away from my 21st birthday. Okay, so Sean, you grow up uh, in a rough, rough area. Where is that? Here in Green Bay. Oh, yeah. wow. Eschwabanon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the streets. <laughs> Tell us about how you grew up and some of the stuff you bring in, I mean, obviously with faith and family. Uh, yeah, it's some point I'll be able to talk about my childhood and probably not cry. Um, just a lot of pain there. Yeah. You know, um, early on, you know, my mom and dad had a very rocky relationship and um, my dad was a, an alcoholic and a drug abuser and all of that dysfunction was brought into our house. Um, so my mom, my two sisters and my dad left when I was really young. But Growing up as a boy, I, you know, I wanted nothing more than to just be with my dad, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember times just praying and hoping he would come to, like, a football game or... Yeah. And just, he never showed up. He'd always make these promises. I'd be um, sitting on the porch waiting for him to come get me. I'd be so excited. And, you know, every car comes by and you'd be like, is that him? Is that him? And he'd never show. Um... And when, when we would be together, um, before he kind of left for good, um, he'd always have this saying, and I, I just, I hate the saying, but the, what happens with the boys stays with the boys, because he used that, and, and he would tell me, he's like, if you want to spend time with me, then what happens when we're together stays between me and you. So, you know, I'd get to spend time with them, but then we would be in the tavern all day, and he would bring me to other women's houses, and, uh, you know, I would be in the living room while other things would yeah, be going on, yeah. and, you know, and then I'd have to go home and lie to my mom. Yeah, because they were still married yeah. at that point. <clears throat> so, you know, early on, I, I learned kind of how to shut my emotion off when I got home, Yeah, and I learned what a parallel life looked like quickly. So you're both really kind of learn how to survive in, I mean, you're kind of laughing saying the word street, but you kind of both grew up with some kind of rough skills on how to survive emotionally. Um, spiritually, the exposure is pretty minimal, right, for both of you? Yeah, mm -hmm. very minimal. Yeah, I, you know, I was born and raised Catholic, and, you know, I, I didn't really know what I, that meant at a young age, but as I grew older, I, I just felt for me that my mom always had a really strong faith, which I think is what held our family together as much as it could. And um, I just kind of knew God to be a big guy in the sky that had rules, expectations. <laughs> I didn't meet most of those. Right, right. So I figured he didn't want much to do with me. Yeah. But you both then, and we've talked about this before, sometimes when you grow up in that kind of situation, uh, one of the comments you make is, I'm going to do it very different than my parents. I'm, I'm going yeah. to 
do it right. I think yes. that's what you I'm said. I'm going to do everything by the book. Yeah. She always told me I wasn't, that I was going to fail at everything I did um, all throughout my life. And so I just grew up thinking, one, I'm never going to be a mom like you. I'm never going to, I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to do everything the right way. Yeah. Yeah, that was super, super important to me was to not necessarily to prove her wrong, but because I wanted to be a better person than she was. So tell us how you two met. Um, well, there's a, there's a part a of my childhood. No, I think, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, there's something I want to share from my childhood that I, I didn't mention that um, I, I carried a lot of pain as a child, and I didn't know how to deal with that pain. So uh, early on, I learned to numb it. And uh, what helped me numb it was drugs and alcohol. Yeah. So um, that started really early in my life. And it's important because when I met Lita, I was 18, and she was not getting the baggage. She was going to get the U-Haul of my junk. Well, and you both were coping because you were seeking the love from guys. You were using drugs and alcohol. And so... Now, now you guys meet, right? Yes. And I had a firm belief that I would be married more than once because my mom did. Right. And we had a conversation early on, and I, I think you were floored by it, but I said, I'm sure I'll be married more than once. It's just driving me on for size. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but it was a works. really deep belief. Like, it wasn't even something that right. I questioned. Right, because it's it what you normal. had modeled to you. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a point we can just pause and say, you can't escape... You can't escape the reality that we have baggage from us growing up. Mm-hmm. Even, even the love of our parents, and you know, and Trish and I talk about this often for our own family, all intentions to do it right, mm-hmm. yet we still hand something off that's broken yeah. and sinful. Totally. And like for me, our relationship when we were dating and throughout our marriage, and you don't speak to it better than me, but like, I learned how to love her because of the way my mom was kind of loving me. Mm. But yet, I didn't know how to deal with all my junk. So I also led another lifestyle right. when I wasn't with her. And I knew how to just shut that off. So let's talk about how you met. So um, I, I moved here with my mom, which is just crazy. But, um, and I met him a week later at, um, at the time, my then stepdad's family, which their son was his best friend. So he came over on Thanksgiving Day to pick up my cousin Todd. And um, yeah, we'd go to their house. I'd go over to their house on Thanksgiving. They'd always look by Pictionary and whatever, hang out. And so I, I went there and I walk in and I got my long hair and my leather vest with the fringes, <laughs> boots. Um, you know, I was from the streets. So... <laughs> And uh, I looked at Lita, and I was just like, who is that? You know, yeah. so I said to my buddy Todd, I'm like, you got to get her to come out with us. So you guys meet, uh, you, you marry, and uh, I think, Lita, you had, t- tell, you, you had kind of some rules right away or some guidelines for Sean. You said it last service, don't ever, right? Yeah, well, yes. I had, well, I was a pretty strong woman. I had to be. I was a no, survivor. Our, I, no, I no. <laughs> I, I am strong now. <laughs> little alpha, but um, yeah. So I kind of just always had the attitude of I don't even don't even look at another woman. If you look at another woman, you're out the door. See ya. Go for. I'll find someone else. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't put up with much, but I did tell him before we, I would marry him that he had to quit, you know, smoking pot and drinking, and he had to grow up a little bit. I wasn't. Ex- I wasn't exactly super mature, but I was older than him and had kind of already been through all that, done that, and was ready. I didn't get the pot last service, so. I know, that time, like, if we do, come on. If we do a third service, I'm not sure what else we'll get here, so. There's Naming more. the drugs. Oh, there's oh my more. gosh. <laughs> and if you think about it, like, for me, yeah. as bad as it is, it was like, well, that's fine, because yeah. I know how to just hide it. Yeah. So, sure, no problem. So. You guys get married. Uh, tell us about your kids. Oh, well, Beautiful first guys. I had, well, there's, um, before I get to the kids, I did have two fears in my life. I had two great fears that growing up, you know, I had always just said, God, you know, I've been through so much in my life. I've had just my childhood alone is, we're just kind of skimming the surface, but 
I just said, I have two great fears in my life. It's to not ever lose a child and to never have my husband be unfaithful. Those are the two things I just felt that I just, I didn't have the capacity. Like, those are the things that would just kill me. Like, now, those are the two things, but so I, we're, we don't, where did faith come in? Because this is, is it before your daughters are born? Yeah. I, and again, I never had, my grandparents were Catholic, but we never, ever, ever went to church. But I always just sensed somebody was looking over my shoulder because um, I didn't share this, but I have three younger brothers that my mom had shortly after mm -hmm. me. And all three of them are in trouble or they're either in prison, in a rehab, um, or in jail. So um, their lives were were crazy. They took the other path. So I just always sensed I had somebody looking out for me. I definitely didn't lead a perfect you know, childhood or teenage years. I was pretty wild, but but I never went off the deep end. So anyway, I just I sensed God yeah. was with me. I just I knew I had a sense. Um, but those were, yeah, two of my biggest fears that I would just say, I know I can't handle. I can't. If that happens to me, I, I don't know. So you guys have your two daughters. We, uh, we're going to do everything the right way. So we get married, and then we buy our first house, and then we get pregnant with my daughter, Hannah. And two years later, we got pregnant with Kaylee, and they're just such little miracles for us. Um, and then our third child was a little boy, Mason. And... Uh, at two weeks old, the doctor's little, you know, right up, perfectly healthy baby boy. And around four weeks, I started noticing something was off with Mason. His smile wasn't as big, and his arms and legs were getting becoming flaccid, and his cry was fading. And I would call my friends, and they're like, oh, you're crazy, you're crazy, he's fine, he's fine. I'm like, ah, oh, something's wrong. So we took him to the doctor, and they said, oh, my gosh, something's really wrong. Get to Children's Hospital immediately. We drove down, and Hannah and Kaylee were only two and four, and uh, the doctors ran some tests, and they took us into the room. They said, we have the results, and I was, the whole two days we were waiting in Children's Hospital, I kept seeing these little wheelchairs, and I, I thought, I wonder if he's going to be paralyzed. I wonder if it's something, because his arms and legs were clearly not strong. That was my biggest fear, too, is, you know, is he ever going to walk? Is right. he going to, you know, am I gonna be able to play catch with my boy? Yeah. No. And you so, wanted a boy. Yeah, he yeah. wanted a boy. When I got pregnant with the girls, he was super excited for his girls because he has a huge heart for his little girls. But he just said, I really hope that we can keep trying till we have a boy. So Mason was our last child and our boy. And um, so anyway, so fast forward. So we're in the room, and the doctor said, we have the results ready for you. And we're like, okay. We're bracing ourselves. And I said, doctor, just please tell me, is my son ever going to walk? And that's when he looked at me and said, I'm sorry. He's not going to live. And our world just changed right there. Mm. I said, what do you mean he, he's not going to live? And he said, he has a genetic illness. It starts in the muscles, and it's going to eventually stop his heart and his lungs. I said, well, how long do we have? And he said, probably about six months to live. So we took Mason home, and before we left the hospital, the trauma nurse came up and said, we just want to let you guys know, not because I want to scare you, but statistics show that you have an 85 chance of divorce from losing a child. So please get into counseling, get what you need to get together to prepare to keep your marriage together. Of course, me, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let this break my family. We're going we're gonna to be okay. I'm going to protect my girls, take care of Mason. We're, we're going to be okay. Um, and Mason was supposed to die a very ugly death. He was supposed to suffocate. And um, they were going to get ready to call in hospice and all of these things and prepare us and we had to do things we never thought we'd have to do. I had to go pick out a gravesite for my son while he was still in my arms. I, you know, I had to pick out a headstone for my boy who I had with me at the funeral home. Yeah. Um, but I prayed to God. I was like, God, I, I, I just love this little boy. He's ultimately yours. I'm going to hand him over gracefully. And in the middle of the night when I would nurse him, I would just say, Jesus, when, he, when the time comes, just take him. And I would tell Mason, Mason, when Jesus comes, don't wait for mommy and daddy to give you permission. Just go. Yeah. So in the middle of the night, I would have these conversations. So I didn't want to hand him over, but I was, I was going to. Yeah. And uh, I had three prayers that I prayed to, prayed to God. I just like, God, I have three things I really need to ask of you. you. You've already given me my biggest fear. You know I can't handle this. But what I need from you, please, is first and foremost, don't let him suffer because he's supposed to suffocate. And it's spending hours at the hospital away from my two- and four-year-old kids at home and how am I going to balance and juggle. And 
but please don't let him suffer. And number two, don't let my babies find him, my two and four-year-old little girls. They were the first ones in his crib in the morning tickling his tummy, mommy Mason's awake. And I thought, oh my gosh, please don't let them be the ones to find him dead. And third, I was a stay-at-home mom. Please don't let me be by myself. I don't know what I'm going to do. And God was so good. Um, Mason never once was hospitalized, never once got sick. Um, The day he died, my girls were next door to play date, just by chance. Uh, Our best friends, Peg and Tony Brault, happened to just knock on the door at about Mm. noon and said, "We, we, we played hooky from work. We're here just to hang out with you. We had no idea. And an hour later, he died in my arms. Which was four weeks from when you heard. Four weeks later. Yeah. So God answered all my prayers against all odds. But in disappointment, it was the two great fears. That's one. That was my one biggest fear. So, Sean, what were you feeling and thinking as this was going on? I was pissed. I was pissed at God. Mm Mm-hmm. I was so angry um, when the doctor, when we were at Children's Hospital and, you know, this doctor comes in and I'm thinking about my boy walking and he tells, tells us that he's not going to make it. It just, I can't, yeah. cannot describe that pain. And so I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. And... I just turned to what I knew best as far as my pain was concerned. And from, I didn't mention this earlier, but I, that day I went downstairs and from the hospital and I found closest liquor store and I just sat in my car and just drank mm-hmm. and just cried. Yeah. And I did that for four years from the time he died until... I eventually told Lita I was drinking. It was four years every day. I would work my butt off. I would um, do really well at work. You know, I would be very sober at work, yeah. and I would get promo- I was getting promotions throughout the time, but I'd get a block from home, and I just know what I know what I'd be walking in the door feeling, the thinking, and so I just slam a quick drink before I got home, and that's how I coped. It's not like a little drink. I mean, you were no. a pretty serious user. Yeah, and, I, and I don't say that for shock value, but more of it was a serious problem. Yeah, I mean, I would buy a pint of vodka on the way home, and I'd get about a block from home, and I'd pour it in a tumbler cup and top it off with a little bit of soda and just slam it yeah. every Crazy day. The part in all that is I had no idea for yeah. four years. I had no idea. We didn't yeah. have alcohol in the house. I'm not a drinker at all. And he never appeared drunk or intoxicated. So that's how good he was at leading that double yeah. life. Which drove her nuts after she figured out because she's like a, you know, she sees everything and puts everything together and understands everything and just had no idea it. how she didn't see it. But I was a master at it because I learned it from right. dad. Yeah. So tell the story now, Sean. Uh, you guys were in Illinois and God kind of meets you right where you're at. Yeah, so we're down in Illinois, and this is we've been there for a couple of years already. We're there four years total, and Lita wanted to go to church, and I was like, whatever. Yeah, this okay. whole thing drew me closer to God, and it pushed on further. Yeah, so I really didn't want a lot to do with it, yeah. but, you know, when your wife asks you to do something, it's best if you just say yes, dear. <laughs> so... Let's just stop and just soak that in for a moment. Okay, <laughs> thank you. It's the wisest advice you'll get from me today is yes, dear. There you go. <clears throat> That's right. So um, we went to this church, which found it down the street from our house. It's called the Orchard, and we walk in there, and, you know, I'm like, born and raised Catholic, I'm used to pews and a priest. And I walk in, and there's a coffee bar and not a priest, and there's a band. I'm like, what is this? And it's a lot like what we have here, you know. <laughs> um, so anyway, we sit down, and this pastor, Scott Hodge, starts talking about God's redemption. And his ability to redeem anything and and make it better than even it once was. And this pastor's talking in this message, and I don't know if you guys have ever felt this, but like he was talking to me. He wasn't talking to the group. He was talking to me. Like God had me there. And um, I remember I was so angry 
Like, he starts talking about a personal relationship with Christ and what that means and all this. And I remember standing in that church that day and just, oh, so mad at God. I was so angry. And I'm like, you know what? You do all these wonderful miracles. You walk on water. I would, too, if I was the creator of the world. Like, you want to do something really impressive? Fix this. Because I'm a piece of junk. So I'll accept you, but you better do something. Because I am whacked. And uh, hold on, because, man, did he take a hold of my life. Yeah. Unbelievable. So that fast-forwards us to you guys start coming to community. Yeah. Right? We, and we moved back home. We moved back up here, and, and I meet Sean, and I just strangely see something that we're very similar. Um <laughs> Why is that so funny to everybody? It's really a deep pain for us that we can't grow hair. No. Um, it actually was a little bit different. I think having, again, I don't say that to say I, I grew up like you, but we, we tend to resonate a little bit with that survival piece. And so uh, knowing full well how to mask pain and, and or try to, to uh, fix the pain in the inside of our lives, you're, you become, you're driven. Mm-hmm. And so I remember meeting Sean and, this guy's driven. So we, we, I think, meet and we decide to do something we're, we're both really good bad at. And let's go golfing. So we, we did. And uh, I, again, I don't take credit for that. It's just, I think sometimes how God wires us, but you could tend to identify things in other people that are true about yourself. And so I know that I can do that too. I can lead a double life. And it was like, something's not right with this guy. And so I can remember asking you, What's wrong with you? Why are you so driven? What are you running from? Mm-hmm. So why don't you pick up from there? Yeah. Um, rewinding just a bit, you know. So I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior that day. And and I seriously, like, within probably that first week, immediately feel God's presence in, my, in me. I just, I felt it. I can't explain it. And um, I could, I... I started just reading scripture and, and I trained for a marathon and I started praying all the time and I was really figuring out what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to be a man of God and the closer I got in my relationship with Christ, the bigger of a hypocrite I felt. And um, I, I felt that because of just all the junk I was carrying, yeah. you know. So I started praying. And, I mean, you guys, when I'm talking reading scripture, I'm talking cover to cover to cover, looking for an answer on what to do about my past. I knew God had forgiven me. And, and present. And, yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I was still struggling. I had to, you know, throughout this time, I'd confess to Lita that I was drinking. I had to, I had to go through that process of, not relying on alcohol for pain, but relying on Christ, mm-hmm. which was off the charts crazy. Um, but I started praying for an answer on what to do about my past, and I started praying specifically for a guy to come into my life that I could trust, that I could be honest with to get good godly direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty cool because God gave me you. Yeah. So when you asked me that question that day, I had thought so many times throughout this two years that I was praying for this man that there would be people, like I'd meet someone, I'd think, oh, maybe that's him. And then I'd be like, no, maybe it's him, no. And when you asked me that question that day, like what drives you? And I, I started answering you, and then you looked at me again, and you're like, no, what really is driving you? I felt like you were like talking to my soul. And I remember looking up at the sky and just being like, he's the one. Thank you. And I just, I threw up everything on you, yeah. basically. I remember <laughs> you were about to tee off, and I said, what's well, really, and you dropped. I mean, yeah. you really dropped. I dropped. And, I mean, share again what you started to confess. Yeah, I had, um, I had lived, lived a perfect double life, and as good as Lita thought I was as a husband, I was not honoring to her at all, and I had to confess just a lot of years of living a double life and um, and being unfaithful. Yeah. Many, many times. Not a couple times. Right. Many times. And that was, again, you know, it's 
I, I, we meet with a lot of people and you hear, well, it was unfaithful, but yours was this extreme, so much pain, and it was extreme. Um, and I remember you said to me, Sean, what do I do? <laughs> and I have to admit, I probably hadn't heard uh, someone to the, to the level of what you were trying to, to fix pain with. And so I remember I said, well, you got to tell Lita. And I remember your next words were, she'll leave me. Right. And then I said, yes, she probably will. Yep. Not even trying to be uh, prophetic or funny. It was just more of, oh, my gosh, yeah, she has every right to walk away. She does. So, Lita, talk about this because he doesn't share right away, but he kind of sets this up. And Yeah. Well, I had no idea. I mean, I had no idea. Um, at this point, we had been together for seven. We'd been married for We've been together for 17 years. And uh, I always thought we had the perfect marriage. Um, we had great, we, we talked every night, even though he had been drinking, he still put on that perfect front. We had great communication. We would go do things with our girls. I mean, we, we had a great love life. He'd tell me I was beautiful every day. I mean, we had a great marriage, I thought. And, and it's still, it's hard to explain it, but we did have a good marriage. He had a completely secret double life that I had no idea about. So I was completely shocked. And I mean, I, and I told you before, I was a pretty strong woman. I said, if you even so much as look at another woman, I'm gone. Let alone have numerous, numerous, numerous. And it's your second fear. fear. It's my second fear. Yeah. So, and then I was just like, oh my gosh, why God, why? Like seriously, why we've lost a child, you know, we've, I've had a rough childhood. He's, I mean, like, I just was like, oh, we're trying to do everything the right way. We're, you know, we're good parents. We're all in it. Just, I just couldn't make sense of it. It was, it was devastating. Yeah. The, so you set up an appointment. Yeah, I set up an appointment with, uh, you had introduced me to Ken Utech, who, God bless him. Mm-hmm. What a great man. Um, his whole family. Uh, I had this, I had this, this commitment that, I had not honored her our entire marriage, the entire time we were together, and that up until this point, I was trusting in God, and I learned what it meant to truly trust in him because I needed him to stop drinking, and I, I had to learn what that meant to rely on him for strength, and I remember going into this thinking, you know what? You told me I had to tell her. I'm going to tell her, and I think of the you know, when Peter steps out of the boat and he's walking on water towards Christ, and he's like, don't look at right, the big waves, right. just like I'm keeping my eyes on you. And I was like, that's what I'm doing, Lord. And I would, I trusted, I trusted that he would do what he needed to do, even if that meant Lita leaving me. Yes. But I knew that I needed to honor her no matter right. what. So I would do whatever she needed me to do to honor her. Yeah. And I remember I told you, I said, it's more about you getting right with God and coming clean, then you can't dictate what Lita's going to do. Lita's going to do what she needs to do through this process. And so you had, I mean, again, a divine kind of appointments throughout this. You want to share some of those? Yeah. Well, one of the things um, you had known he was going to tell me. And so I think you probably sent him a text that said, hey, I told her everything, but you had showed up our door and you had a book for me and it was called Sacred Marriage. Uh, by Gary Thomas, and the, prefer- the, the idea of the book is what if God made marriage more for holiness than happiness? And I said, thank you, and I thought it was very nice that you thought of us, but I was thinking, how am I going to read a book at this time? I can't, even, I can't even get out of bed. I can't even function. But something in me just had me read the book, but it was talking about <clears throat> the guy who writes the book is talking about his, he has an affair, and, and they work on it through the marriage. But, but through that time, I just felt God's presence, and... Um, back up a little bit. Our girls used to come home from school every now and then and their friends' parents would be going through divorce and they would come home upset and they would ask us to pray with them at night and say, Mom and Dad, please promise me you're never going to get a divorce. Please, please promise. And we'd say, I, I promise you, honey. Mommy and Daddy are so happy. We're so good. We're never going to get a divorce. And then all of a sudden I'm at this point where it's like, we're going to get a divorce. Yeah. I'm, I have to leave. How could I be with a man who has done this to me, and especially after he knows what I've gone through and that was hard to tell my girls. Um, it changed our family forever. But um, we got some really good counseling, and 
Um, we had a great group around us talk about Red X stories. I mean, we have Red X stories on the golf course. We have them yeah. here at church. You know, Bobby and Harper coming over when we couldn't get out of bed, the Kaufmans, when we couldn't get off the couch, the Baralts, the LaGros. I mean, our life group really, yeah. our really. Our community people. Yeah. They're, uh, our community. We used, you just look back on it. You can just see how God is so amazing and how he can move. He put the right people in our lives at the right time. Right. It was incredible. The conversations we would have at Life Group, I'm looking at our Life Group homies, um, it was, I mean, just incredible. You know, the, the amount of pain, like, it's hard to, it's hard, it's hard to really describe it, but the amount of pain was over the top. You know, we would have these moments where we would feel like there's hope. Yeah. And then there would be po points where we would feel like there's no hope. Yeah, I, th I think uh, it was like a death. In fact, I think that what Sean did to me was more painful than my son dying. Mm. Because I felt like God took my son and it was God's child to begin with. But Sean did this to me yeah. knowing it would hurt me. Yeah. So that was tough. Yeah. It was hard. But, um, and, and I want to interject here. We didn't say this last service, and, and, and hopefully those people watch this, but you guys are still working through your journey. So oh, yeah. it's not like you're fixed and this is all good. And, you know, we're, we're six and a half years, I think, from, mm -hmm. from at least coming clean. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not without a lot of work. And... The, the decisions Sean had made um, were symptoms of a lot deeper issues, and I think you guys have still doing a lot of hard work. That's probably the, yes, a lot of hard work, like significant amount of work. But, you know, I think the thing that gave us hope is when we started to learn about the impact of generational patterns and when... I started to learn, you know, no one grows up, no, no one wakes up in the morning wanting to be what I was. Yeah. You just don't. That comes from somewhere. I own the choices I make, and I've owned them, but I didn't grow, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a little boy wanting to become that, right. you know? So that came from somewhere, and as we started to kind of unpack these generational patterns and learn... Lita quickly learned through this process of talking through these stories and all of the things that had happened that it wasn't about her. Mm -hmm. And that was like something, when that, when that like light switch went off to say, oh, this isn't about me, this is his junk, that's when we really started to make some progress. Yeah, his, his stuff hurt me and it affected me, but when I was able to make the connection that the, the infidelities and the drinking were not because I wasn't pretty enough, smart enough, good enough housekeeper, whatever it was, that as women we tend to take on is, like, if I were only, it wouldn't have happened. Once I was able to make that connection that yeah. it didn't matter who I was, he was who he was. That's what made the switch for me, along with God prompting me because I was going to leave. And uh, I just felt God, one day I was just sobbing in my pillow for hours. Just all I kept saying was, why God, why God, why God? I mean, for hours. And I, I felt... I literally felt the Holy Spirit just say to me, just, just stay. Just stay and trust me. Watch what I'm going to do. Just stay. Yeah. Stay. And I, and I want to, again, interject here because the, the other thing we didn't say last service, that doesn't make the promise for everyone to go, oh, it's going to work out this way for no, you because these not. two had this. <laughs> By no means, too, are you telling the story to go, look what you did and look how you worked through this. No. That is a redemption story for you. That's our um, story. And I think in God's grace, you were both willing to be very honest and open about your brokenness. Yeah. That really got you through because often in these situations, you know, one spouse is willing but the other one's not. And Absolutely. that's where they just, they don't end this way. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. we've been privileged now over these last few years because of the growth and what God has done to be able to, you know, as couples call the church and have issue or whatever, you know, you guys give us a call and see if we're willing to sit down with them. And that that's so obvious that that, that makes a difference when we sit down with folks is to just have that vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. And 
So let's talk about Colossians. You sent me that. You text me. Yeah. You were going to text me a lot of things this week, like, oh, my gosh, we're backing out. Oh, all this God. Stuff. But you night, ended up. We're not coming. Yeah, we're not going to show up. <laughs> I wanted to run to the hills. Oh. I would have to interview just Bobby, right? Just have <laughs> Bobby up here. Tell us about your life, Bobby. Um, no, but you, uh, you sent me this verse. It means quite a bit for you guys, so I know we're going to put it on the screen. Yeah. We'll just talk um, about that for a minute. Let's see if I can remember to my testimony verse because it's important, but it, it fits in here is, you know, look at this, you know, for he rescued us from the dominations of darkness. I mean, that, that resonated with me when I read it this week. Like, I, I was in the pits of hell. And, you know, he brings us into the kingdom of the son he loves, and it's just like, <sighs> resting. Share your verse. You had, Sean, you had it one time. I don't know if you guys remember this, but people just get up and randomly read a verse that's important to them. Mm -hmm. And this is before Sean told me the yeah. news. And I remember listening to him read that verse going, how does that fit with Sean? I mean, to, I mean, obviously it could fit for all of us, but he had so much emotion behind it. Yeah, it? so um, Paul writes to Timothy, and um, he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me, so Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. And then others can realize they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And that's how I can sit here today and have the confidence to not worry about being judged. The, the vulnerability for Lita and I to be able to share our story is because... Even the worst of us, he can redeem, you know. But you got to do your part first, yeah. and you got to be willing to yeah. take it as far as you can take it, so then he can take it the rest yeah. of the way. And that's when his redemption comes in. Yeah. And I wasn't like I don't have enough forgiveness in my heart to be able to forgive him for what he did. Right. It comes from from Jesus Christ because how do you forgive somebody for that? Not once, yeah. not twice, not three times, not four. You know, on and on and on, and yet. We sit here today, and I, I can honestly say it's been through a lot of hard work. But I love this man. I trust this man. And I'm happier with this man than before any of this even happened. Yeah, yeah that's amazing, isn't it? That wasn't scripted. So... We had said this. We didn't say this last service, and I'll, and I'll finish with this. But this is not a story about Sean. This is a story about all of us being broken and all of us carrying stuff and all of us needing a, a Savior yes. from that darkness. Oh my gosh, yes. And mm -hmm. no situation gives us reason or permission to, to sin and walk away from God. And so... You know, none of the choices made in your lives. But what a great story of God pursuing you. Isn't that yeah. he pursues you and he pursued this marriage. And so, man, thank you guys again for sharing love here in your hearts and being vulnerable to our whole church now knows that you smoked pot. So um, <laughs> did you inhale? Or but I didn't inhale. Okay. <laughs> hey, but can we thank these guys? That was amazing. Thank you. Love you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. That was cool. So Sean and Lita had met with Bobby or talked with Bobby. He was trying to figure out a song that we could really just let us sit in in the midst of hearing that story. Uh, the song's by Third Day called Born Again. Listen to these lyrics, even as you heard their stories. Today I found myself, after searching all these years, and the man that I saw, he wasn't all that I thought he'd be. And I was lost when you found me here, and I was broken beyond repair. Then you came along, and you sang your song over me. It feels like I'm born again. It feels like I'm living for the very first time, for the very first time in my life. A uh, very powerful picture, isn't it? About really God pursuing all of us in the midst of our brokenness. And I read this and think, gosh, 
How many times have I looked in the mirror and said, gosh, I'm not, I'm disappointed in who I've become, right? In the midst of shame we carry and guilt. And this is just a great promise that God, as, as Sean Halita said, that, that he's a redeemer. Don't go to communion yet. Just let, I think, this song be sung over you, will you? Let me pray for us. Father, will you just use these words and your spirit to sink deep into our hearts? In your name, amen. Today I found myself After searching all these years And the man that I saw He wasn't at all who I thought he'd be well, I was lost when you found me here And I was broken beyond repair And then you came along you sang your song over me It feels like I'm born again It feels like I'm living For the very first time For the very first time In my God is the great redeemer of broken things. And we are broken. And we feel pain really in two different ways. And I, I want to give you some specifics as you go to communion. But one way is that we feel pain because of choices we make. Uh, some of you in this room, like Sean, like I know I had lived in my life, but you can lead a double life. You can have things that are suppressed in Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills Abel and God says to him, sin is crouching at your door. If you would only do what is right, 
James will later on talk, the half-brother of Jesus in, in James, and he'll say, confess your sins one another. In other words, it's not so that people forgive you, it's so that you come clean and don't allow two worlds to, to live together. Be one. This honest, authentic relationship with God calls you to be honest about your brokenness. And some of you are living with a lot of guilt and shame from decisions and choices that you've made in your life. One way when you go to the crosses is to confess it. In fact, Scripture says if you're living that double life, don't take communion. Don't blaspheme the name of God this way. Would you, when you go, come clean. We're going to have elders and staff go to the crosses during communion and even after the service, but I would just recommend, whether it's a spouse that's with you or a friend, because this is not just about being married. This is about being a Christ follower and being honest about your brokenness. The second kind of pain, though, is life just brings hurt and sorrow and sadness and adversity. And some of you are feeling that this morning. And God is a God that often maybe won't fix the circumstances, but he promises peace. Never have I felt that more prominently than we're going to sing a song called It Is Well, but it's, it's a rendition of the old version and the old version was written by Horatio Spafford in the 1800s. And I, didn't, I had to refresh myself because I remember this story and then just reading it was, just blew me away. Horatio lived in Chicago in the 1800s, was a, a prominent lawyer, uh, and owned a lot of property. But he had four daughters and a young son, and one year lost his young son. Grieved with that. Um, what compounded on that, the great Chicago fire happened, I think in 1871, where he lost almost all of his investments, all his property he owned. So overwhelmed with that, he put his daughter and his wife, his four daughters and his wife onto a ship to Europe to just kind of get away and recover. And the ship sank and lost his four daughters. Man, I read that. I read that this morning because they said, what was that story? I read it and I thought, oh, crud, I have four daughters. That just hits. So the story is, as he's on a boat to meet his wife after they've rescued her, he pens the words, when sorrow hits like sea billows roll, it is well. Man, some of you, the pain that life has thrown you, ugh. I can't fix that, and I can't try to make you feel better. Only Christ can bring peace in the midst of the storm. And so will you take communion this morning with the hope and the realization that God is a great redeemer? Amen? Father, we, we celebrate your son, Jesus Christ, that brings hope and peace in the midst of pain and sorrow and brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen.